Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. On the program, New Brunswick Premier Blaine Higgs talks about what answers he and his fellow premiers got from the Prime Minister on vaccines and how they'll be rolled out. A vaccine specialist weighs in on the challenges ahead in approving and distributing vaccines. And our journalist panel will look at the politics of the pandemic with some Canadian political leaders this week being accused of putting politics before public health. But we start with the issue which took up much of the political debate this week, Canada's wait for a vaccine. On Thursday night, Prime Minister Trudeau spoke with the premiers about when they can expect the arrival of successful vaccines in Canada. And on Friday, he announced that Major General Danny Fortin, a former NATO commander in Afghanistan, will help oversee vaccine distribution in Canada. And Justin Trudeau also called on Canadians to be patient. I can understand the eagerness uh, with which people want to know when is this going to be over? When are we going to get the vaccines? What we can say is we are working extremely hard to deliver as quickly and as safely as possible. And I know people are really eager to find out when are we going to get to that starting line? When are we going to start giving people vaccines? And we're working as hard as we can to make that as quickly as possible. But at the same time, what really matters is when we get to cross the finish line. And the fact that the doctors highlighted that if all goes according to plan, we should be able to have uh, the the majority of Canadians vaccinated by next September puts us in very good stead. Joining me now to talk about his and the other Premier's conference call last night with the Prime Minister about vaccines is New Brunswick Premier Blaine Higgs. Premier Higgs, thank you very much for taking the time. You're welcome. Uh, Okay, let's start with the conversation about vaccines, because several of your colleagues went into this. uh, Several other premiers went in saying, we want to know. We want to know how many doses, when are we getting them? Did you get all the answers that you wanted and that you needed on vaccines from the prime minister? Well, I I don't think we got all the answers, but I think we got enough to to make us feel pretty uh, confident about um, the path forward and and, uh, what's going to happen commencing, uh, you know, early in the new year, in the first quarter. Um, I think we learned, you know, that, that there's roughly um, 10% of the population that there will be vaccines available in the first quarter. Uh, the rollout and, and the, the timing, I guess, of that rollout is, is still um, um, not, not completely confirmed at this point. But we do know that uh, activity is going to happen and we're going to plan for it in December and we're going to be ready to hit the ground running and certainly provide vaccines to the most vulnerable population starting in January okay. of 2021. What outstanding questions do you have? What questions are there that you still need to have answered for you to be able to prepare as a province? Well, I think the, the exact supply that we're getting, and we talked a lot about a per capita, and, and, I, and I think that's where it'll end up. So, so that, that's fine. Um, but knowing exactly when it's coming and the timing so we can plan the distribution. Uh, we also discussed, uh, because the military are being made available to help us with distribution throughout our respective provinces, uh, whether that'll be needed or not, it's great to, to be able to have that certainly uh, backup available. And then, but once we know the precise supplies that are coming, we can look at our system that already exists and how we can manage it. I, I don't think there's going to be a huge, great lineup for vaccines, um, you know, uh, right off the bat. I think that we will have time to ramp up and people will be, uh, will be able to serve the most vulnerable population as needed uh, when needed. 
Okay, well, let's explore that. You said a lot of interesting things here. First of all, you're saying per capita? That's the basis on which you, your understanding on... Well, that was certainly the discussion across the country, and we were suggesting that was the best fit. And, and the PM did not say that isn't the way he's, he's focused. He, he was talking about different segments of the population. Um, so there may be some nuances there, but, but I think that generally per capita was an accepted formula um, across the country. Uh, but, but it's yet to be defined what nuances there might be to that. It's still, still a bit open in that regard. And you're saying you just said that you don't know or you don't think there, there will be a mad rush for vaccines in your province in the first few weeks or months. Uh, is that because of the low infection rate and the relative success? I mean, although you are having now the second wave and a flare-up, but is that because of yeah. the low, low rate in New Brunswick? Well, no, not necessarily. I mean, I, I think that, uh, yeah, we're having our own opportunities here right now, for sure. Um, I, I think it's probably the reservations that some feel. So I, I think that certainly as you prioritize vulnerable populations and, and healthcare workers, and, and then you get to, to those that are less susceptible. Um, I, I just think that it, it seems that we're hearing that you know, people are indifferent about how soon they take a vaccine and, and do they want to be the first one. And you're hearing a lot of that. So I think that means that they're likely the demand won't be 100 uh, percent on the first day of, of uh, vaccinations. Um, so, so we can ramp up. Is it, a, is it a difficult situation? Because you mentioned prioritized groups. So you have everyone is referring to uh, frontline health workers, indigenous communities, uh, people living in community settings like long-term care homes and other communal living uh, settings. Uh, is it a problem for your health authorities uh, and across the country if a proportion of those people don't want to take the vaccine? Well, certainly, as with any vaccine, you want to have a certain percentage so that you feel a, a safety. And I think the numbers is up in the 80% range somewhere that in order to have that uh, herd immunity, as it as it's called. So, yeah, it would be a concern if, if we don't receive a, a level. But I think we, we are managing in the pandemic within our health system today. And, and so there's no reason that we don't continue to do this in the same way forward. And we're able to relax those standards uh, in, in, the, in the way that our vaccinations roll out. So I think we can, we can manage this. And, and for those facilities that are less vaccinated, we stick to the protocol we have right now. But ultimately, of course, we want to we want to have the full vaccinations roll out to meet to meet uh, the health standards that will be required. Your province, New Brunswick, was, has been held up as, as the example for much of Canada in that you were one of the first to close off, you know, to really isolate the province, to close off interprovincial trans, uh, transport and, and travel. Uh, you took this very seriously, largely uh, under the influence of uh, your minister, Dominique Carty, who was sort of an inspiration for your government. Um, so you, you went, you were a success story. What do you make of accusations about the prime minister? People are suggesting that Canada, the federal government, has not done all that it could have and has been asleep at the switch or bungled it, whatever expression you want to use, uh, in procuring guaranteed access to enough vaccines uh, that the suggestion is we may be behind a lot of other countries in receiving the vaccines. What do you make of that? Well, certainly the indication that we got last night is that there have been ample supplies uh, that have been already, um, um, you know, contract signed that, that it's going to be available for, for us here. Um, I, I think I was encouraged by the number of different suppliers. I mean, I think there was they referenced as many as seven that that actually are, are potential vaccines and maybe four or five that are are ready and available, you know, almost immediately. So so it, it's like there I think we're going to have ample supply. Uh, we got every 
allocation contracts have been signed and uh, so supply has been committed and that's why it was clear that we were going to have um, available supply I think it was three million doses um, or three we could handle three million uh, citizens in the first quarter so I think there is confirmation of supply and I think that's only going to ramp up because you can see manufacturers really wanting to be uh, first in line for supply because there's going to be such a demand overall over the coming uh, year or so. So I, I, I actually don't think supply is going to be a problem in 2021. I, I think we'll see a number of companies uh, really ramp up their production to, to meet demand. Okay, I'll, I'll ask the, um, the worst case scenario though. Uh, certainly it's occurred to many people though that if those companies are ramping up production across the world, and you have nations that allegedly are going to have first dibs, like the United States and the United Kingdom and Germany, uh, if they ramp up production, what do you do if there is a delay? And if we don't see the numbers that your, your premiers and your provinces have been, and Canadians have been let, left to believe would be delivered by in between January and March, what do you do then? Well, I guess we worry about that when the time comes. But I, I'm right now. I have I have every reason to believe that the the government will follow through with with, with what we've been told. Um, um, we are working to get our numbers back under control here. Our, our our cases thus far have all been traced and contacted, and and we will continue to manage our our health requirements here in our province and the, in the hospital uh, certainly uh, concerns as we have been, and and so. Uh, we'll continue to manage that, and, and we'll do so uh, as effectively as we can, right until we have full vaccination. So I, I, I think that we shouldn't over, over, um, I guess, get concerned with that, that there's going to be a panic January 1st, or if it doesn't show up till January 15th or, or uh, later in the month. We just need a plan, and we just need to have access that we can count on. And that's the information that I encourage the federal government will be able to give us. Details. And then we will manage through that, and we will prioritize our population as, as would be the appropriate thing to do. So I, I right now, uh, was comforted by last night's call. And I, I think that um, I'd like to think that was something shared by my colleagues as well. More details will follow, but we're certainly ramping up in December to be ready for implementation in January. Okay, Premier Higgs, I want to thank you very much, and I want to wish you good luck with, uh, with coping with the, the second wave of the, of the pandemic. Thanks for speaking with us. You're very welcome. Have a good day. New Brunswick Premier Blaine Higgs was one of the premiers on a conference call on Thursday night with Prime Minister Trudeau. As Canada closes in on 360,000 cases of coronavirus since the beginning of the pandemic, at the week's end, Ontario shattered its previous records, reporting 1,855 new cases and 20 more deaths. Premier Doug Ford shared the stage with retired General Rick Hillier, the man who will be heading Ontario's vaccine rollout. And Premier Ford said he was less satisfied with the answers from the Prime Minister when they discussed vaccines. I can't emphasize enough to the Prime Minister, the clock is ticking. Uh, we're we're going to be uh, hopefully getting, getting these vaccines sometime, hopefully, again, in, in January. Uh, I asked him the, the, the three simple questions. You know, when are we getting it? What type of vaccine are we getting? And how much of that va vaccine are we getting? Uh, to, to have General Hillier make a proper plan, uh, we need to know. It's no different. He needs, the, he needs the ammunition before we, we go to war on this. And uh, again, we need the answers from the federal government 
and we're, we, we will work hand-in-hand hand collaboratively with the Prime Minister and his entire team along with municipalities as we have throughout this whole pandemic. Well, joining me now to look at the challenges and the concerns as Canadians await the approval and the arrival of a vaccine is Kerry Bowman. He is an assistant professor of family and community medicine at the Faculty of Medicine at the University of Toronto. Professor Bowman, thanks for joining us. Happy to be here. Uh, let's start with what's for you as someone who looks at the ethical, the community health issues connected with vaccines. What's the biggest unanswered question for you about this vaccine situation as we wait for a vaccine? When are we going to get it? Um, I'll, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm more worried this week than I was about 10 days ago or a week ago. You know, and here's why. Uh, we don't have production capacity. We, I suspected this, but we, we all know that for sure now. So there's some very good news. And we know most of us know that good news. You know, we've got we're contracted with seven potential vaccines, three of which appear to be showing really high efficacy. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful as a starting point. But when are we going to get it? So if we don't have production capacity, we have contracts. Um, our government is not telling us what those contracts actually say. Now, they're saying we can't. I, I don't know if that's true or not. But what do the contracts say? So as much as people have tried, uh, media and others, we need a date. Uh, you know, we need specifics for planning. Um, it's not forthcoming. The, uh, the government is saying, though, that they feel relatively confident that the contracts as signed uh, do entail a commitment by the international pharmaceutical companies to deliver for a certain date. And they're saying, you know, Ju January to March, we'll see six million doses from two companies. You don't you're not as optimistic. Yeah, you know, I, when I look to the language, what I've seen in writing, I'm seeing language like as many as. Okay, so as many as when you really think of it, it doesn't say anything other than the upper limit. Um, you know, that could be almost anything. And you know what worries me? And look, I hope I'm wrong. And I hope I'm worrying too much. Um, but here's what worries me is, you know, countries that are producing and, and, you know, that have discovered and are in production, like, like, like Germany and Britain and the United States, are they really, really going to be forwarding, you know, these massive amounts of doses to other countries uh, when their own people haven't uh, had full inoculations? And I hope they will. You know, if we knew what these contracts actually said, it would be very helpful. Um, and look, here's the other thing. You know, it's so wonderful that we're pulling in our military. No one knows more about deployment than the military. And Canada has almost unique challenges with, with our ratio between, you know, people to land size. You know, so does Australia, so does the Russian Federation. But, but you know, we've got our challenges. And they're experts on, on deployment. But look, they need to know, and the provinces need to know, and the territories need to know, um, what is the timeline, how many doses, and the nature of the vaccine. Because remember, we're hearing that one, maybe two, of them are going to need profoundly deep refrigeration. Um, so they need to know these facts. The other thing is one vaccine, maybe, well, that one's really the most beneficial, uh, you know, for people within this age group or medical profile. This one isn't. So all of the planning that we're asking our military and the provinces and the territories to do um, their hands are tied until they have the facts before them as to what the timeline is, numbers, type of vaccine, etc. 
Okay, let's, um, let's look at the other issue. A lot of people are saying it's a bit of a no-brainer that the first doses will go to top priority groups. So you're looking at, for example, um, frontline healthcare workers. You're looking at what they call communal living centers, especially long-term care homes. And you're looking at indigenous populations who are especially isolated and vulnerable. Uh, does it get more complicated once we pass that? Let's assume we get the vaccines from January to March and then mm -hmm. it starts flowing. Uh, you've dealt with the ethical, ethical decisions about vaccine distribution. Mm -hmm. what, what is faced by yeah. governments after those target groups are hit. Yeah. So, look, we have broad consensus on those target groups, as you very clearly described them. There's broad consensus. There's not pushback. And that's a wonderful thing. But then it gets much more complicated. So, so then we have other vulnerable groups. You know, we have racialized communities where there's clear, clear, clear evidence. And then there's this dance between kind of epidemiology and ethics, not saying those are separate and they can't be combined. But look, some people are saying, you know, let's let's find all the partying 25 year olds, which is a stereotype, I realize. But, you know, and vaccinate them because they're going to keep it from spreading. And if we look at it economically, people could say, well, you know, all these small restaurants, as one example, uh, across the country that are on the verge of, of, of going out of business. Let's, you know, inoculate them and their staff so that they can open up rather than the chains. Are we going to have some kind of economic triage with with vaccination. So that's where it gets much more complicated. So the big stuff, I'm not suggesting it's going to be easy, but we've got broad consensus on. And that's good. Not all countries do. Um, and, and But it's the smaller stuff that we are going to have to figure out. And you know what I do believe is there will be variation between the provinces and territories. Even as Canadian senior citizen, like, what's that, right? We all know what it is, but what age is that? We don't all agree on what age yeah. that is. So, you know, there's going to be differences. Okay, well, listen, something tells me this won't be the last discussion we have on this, especially as, as the vaccine starts to, to uh, be distributed across the country. I want to thank you very much for speaking with us. You're very welcome. Thank you. Well, to look at uh, the week's political and pandemic de developments, I'm joined now by two journalists. Laura Stone is a political reporter for The Globe and Mail, and she joins us from Toronto. And Erica Eiffel is a columnist for The Hill Times and the co-host of the Bad and Bitchy podcast. And she joins us from Calgary. Both of you, thanks for taking the time. Hello. Thanks, Martin. Okay, well, let's start with, I mean, both of you in two provinces, Ontario and Alberta, two provinces where we saw this week, it's not new, but we saw really renewed accusations or debate about whether politicians are paying more attention to economics and politics uh, versus public health. Uh, Laura, we saw the uh, Auditor General this week in Ontario producing a report. She said that the uh, Chief Medical Officer of Health, uh, Dr. David Williams, wasn't leading the fight against COVID. She got an angry rebuttal from the Premier. Where is that all going in Ontario? Well, Martin, it was probably one of the most extraordinary responses that we've seen from a premier on one of these reports. Of course, these auditor general's reports are always digging into the province's finances. It's often a bad news story for the government and a lot of scrutiny in places that the government may not necessarily want the eyes to go. But the way that Premier Doug Ford reacted to this was really quite something, basically telling uh, Auditor General Bonnie Lissick that she's not a doctor, uh, that she should stick to, to the books, and basically accusing her of making a series of falsehoods in this report. This report was very damning, Martin. It found that uh, Dr. David Williams, as you mentioned, our chief medical officer of health here, was not leading the public health response, although she also pointed to a lot of systemic issues in Ontario in terms of emergency management, preparedness, and that role itself 
that had not been fixed under the previous Liberal governments for the past decades. Uh, so it really was kind of a condemnation of, as well of the system under which Ontario operates. Of course, Premier Ford has come out repeatedly and said he is following Dr. Williams' advice. He is following the, the public health experts. And, uh, you know, he pointed to the fact that Ontario is doing well, relatively well, compared to the Western provinces, B.C. Uh, and uh, Alberta, as well as Quebec. So he says, look, whatever we're doing, it's working and we are following this health advice. Where this is going, though, I mean, it kind of dropped uh, under this um, crazy news cycle that we're under. It kind of dropped off after day one. But we know that the Auditor General is preparing another report uh, to do with spending as well as long-term care in the province. Okay, I want to ask you, just before I get to Erica, I want to ask you, though, Dr. David Williams himself also said that he felt that the Premier was taking heed and, and respectfully, you know, paying attention to his recommendations as the chief, as the highest public health uh, official in the province. That's sort of all I'm going to get to that in Alberta. So if the person who's sort of mentioned is also saying, no, he feels that he's getting he's being listened to by the premier where does it go from there well it's quite an extraordinary moment because there are so many critics of david williams now in the province uh, among um, epidemiologists and um, others in the health community so there was this sense that um that those voices were trying to undermine him in this role through this report um you know over the past few months um and and so, you know, you're, it's kind of cast doubt, I guess, um, and the Premier would ar argue very uh, unrightfully on his character. And the government actually extended his contract into next September, saying that he's done an admirable job leading the province during this time. So they're trying to block mm -hmm. out all of these armchair quarterbacks, in the words of Premier Ford, and just plow ahead with yeah. what they've been doing. Okay, Erica, the reason that there's a commonality here in the sense that we saw the similar thing or something exploding around the Chief Medical Officer of Health in Alberta, Dr. Dina Hinshaw, who our viewers know because they watch her every day or every time she gives updates. Uh, there was a recorded audio recordings of her comments about a certain amount of frustration. Uh, she says they were taken out of context. She says that they're, she's quite offended that she feels the confidence was betrayed, but they, they seem to suggest her frustration at a Premier and a government that's paying more attention to economic things. What should we make of it there in Alberta? Well, the Kenny government is um, driven by ideology first and facts afterwards. Uh, this is a government that talks about freedoms and protecting freedoms, but one of their first bills that they passed was to, um, was to criminalize protests. So, uh, you know, not all freedoms are equal, as we see. This is also a government that has put the quote-unquote economy first without actually realizing that the economy is, um, is constrained by the pandemic. Once the pandemic is, is, is raging and is, is around, the economy will suffer. It's, they are connected. They're in lock. They are in lock and step, and so this is a premier who has refused still to produce um, or to produce a, a, a province-wide mask mandate, which, uh, according to a recent poll, eighty-one percent of Albertans want. So uh, I don't think, even though uh, Jason Kenney has said he's done all he can, I don't believe he has. He has 
actively discouraged uh, Albertans from uh, using the contact tracing app that the feds have have rolled out and has not provided anything of substance uh, that has been able to substitute for that. Contact tracing is abysmal. Mask mandates are are mostly municipal. Uh, there seems to be a differential in terms of municipal restrictions and provincial restrictions, thereby confusing people more. Communications have been terrible. And Dr. Hinshaw, I do think, has a public re uh, health responsibility as a doctor to, instead of towing the party line, to actually take people's health and, you know, the the health of the health care system into account. And that should be her first priority, which, in my opinion, what the what the tapes have shown have not been the first priority. I guess this raises though, the issue that we have seen in no province in, or territory in Canada. And there's never been a public health official and some legal experts say they can who has. Uh, has gone beyond and contradicted and, and, and uh, imposed their public health orders on, on a, an elected government. And it gets back to this debate about who should be running the province. Uh, and we heard Premier Kenny say, no, I'm the elected official here. But the Public Health Act does give Dr. Hinshaw that authority to impose those restrictions yeah. as, as she sees fit. So uh, he may be an elected official, but the law is the law is the law. Right. Interesting. And I think it's something interesting that we're going to track as, as this pandemic continues to take on strength. I want to ask you, just before we run out of time, uh, the other big event that we're looking forward to or looking ahead to is Monday's economic statement, the economic update from uh, Finance Minister and Deputy Prime Minister Christian Freeland. She'll be delivering that at about 4 o'clock Eastern time on Monday. Both of you, uh, just one after the other, what are you watching for? Um, Laura Stone. Well, I'm definitely looking for an update on the deficit figure and any updates on the spending programs since the summer. We know the Liberals have made some changes to that, and we know that they're expected to target some other hard-hit sectors, uh, such as airline and, and the tourism sector. So, you know, what are the immediate needs, and then what are the future needs of this country? Because eventually we are going to get out of this. So what are some of those vision programs and how are they going to implement them, be it, you know, a national child care program or their push for green jobs? Uh, you know, what is the Liberal government's plan once we get out of this COVID-19 mess uh, in order to push this country forward? Okay. Um, uh, Erica, what will you be watching for on Monday uh, when the finance minister rises and talks about the economic update? Much, much the same as what Laura said. I am... Um, uh, I'd like to know what the priorities are. So the fall, the fall economic update will likely set out uh, suspending priorities for the most immediate things. But I, my question is, is this Liberal government going to embark on a program of, uh, of targeted austerity after the pandemic? to bring those fiscal balances to a certain place. Okay. Do you think that's very likely? Because Christopher Freeland has said that uh, as of now, they will spend what it takes to get us through the pandemic. Or are you talking about the longer term? 
I'm talking about the longer term. Uh, after all of this spending, governments have a tendency to uh, listen to fiscal hawks mm -hmm. and talk about and and impose. Uh, I'm not saying it's going to be a blanket austerity. Yeah. It may be wrapped up in different language, but austerity is austerity. Yeah, but just where do the cuts come when they if and when exactly. they come? Exactly. Okay. And and who do cuts they or impact? taxes? There's only two options. Yeah, that's it. And that <laughs> is what, by all suggestions, that's still a way off as we continue to struggle with. This pandemic. I want to thank both of you. Uh, have a good and healthy weekend. Thank you. Thanks so much. Well, that's all the time we have for this edition of Primetime Politics. From all of us here at CPAC, thanks for watching and have a great weekend.